0: Welcome to Toby Hadokes Who's Round. It's back and it's about time. And the Doctor will see you now. Yay! Two clichés in one intro. Who'd have thunk it? played musical chairs to avoid first music and then snooker and so hopefully this will be a relatively noise-free interview with a gentleman who's kindly brought me to a pub to talk to me so I'm going to ask him who he is and why we're talking about Doctor Who. Uh,
1: Well my name is Trevor Martin and strangely enough I don't know how through history I've landed up in so many different forms of the production of Doctor Who including having played Doctor Who on stage uh, at the Adelphi Theatre in 1974, but I was also on the uh, original production of uh, was it the War Games, and I've since then done uh, I think it's two DVDs with uh, Sylvester playing Doctor Who, and I've done uh, two radio shows with. Uh, uh, John Pertwee. With John Pertwee, yeah. Yeah. So you know, I'm quite. A yeah, it ke- keeps
0: coming back to haunt yes. you. Yes, I know. I, mean, I
1: haven't sorted out, but I haven't avoided it by any means.
0: Well, you and I, th- you were harbinger of doom for the Doctor originally, because you were, you were, It was '69, actually. Patrick Trouton. You were a Time Lord. That's right. You, Bernard Horsville and Clyde Pollitt were the first Time Lords to appear in Doctor Who. Oh, and really? See off, yeah. see off, Patrick Trouton. So, do you remember you remember of working with Patrick? It was for one week only, as well.
1: Well. I do remember working with Patrick not so much on 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 uh, Doctor Who, but you see Patrick and I were both at one time on the BBC drama repertory company, and so I used to work with him every week for about eighteen months and uh, so I knew him very well and uh, it, wasn't, it seemed strange to me to be working with a, with a chap that I always thought of as my s- same colleague, but he, he was the doctor as a an knight, and I was just a sort of, well, I was just a sidekick, time lord, really.
0: <laughs> but what sort of fellow was he? Because it's quite difficult to pin down, Patrick Tran, because that, that Doctor Who characterisation is a very sort of mercurial and sort of childlike. What sort of fellow was he as a, as a person, Patrick?
1: Well, he was very. I mean, I thought he was pretty well uh, based. I mean, he he, I, uh, he. He he knew what he was doing. He he was a regular guy, and and uh, I thought he was great. Uh, it's it. I've since worked with his son, and. Uh, Who's completely different. I mean, they're both very interesting chaps, and I like them both. But they're very different. Um. No, he, he, he didn't seem what you would say as a... As a um, how can I put it? Some people's idea of the Doctor is... that he, he's, he's a bit sort of flighty and, uh, and odd well he his uh, his performance may have been flighty and odd, but he himself personally was very grounded and and uh, a regular guy
0: good actor too oh
1: yes, a good actor yes Yes, he was a good actor i, I don't know whether i'm naive or not, but I find that majority of actors are, are, are pretty good you, you do get the occasional one that is a bit of a
0: pain in the neck
1: but um on the whole, they're pretty
0: good. And so, well, we should get to having seen off Patrick Trangton as a Time Lord, yeah. mm. a few short years later and one doctor later, John we leaves and on television he turns into Tom Baker, but on stage he turns into you, Trevor Martin. So how did that happen? Well,
1: uh, uh, there was no connection between the, the stage production and the television company's productions. So I didn't know anything about what was going on in, in, the, uh, in the television version. But I, uh, I was approached because uh, this uh, organisation was going to put, uh, devised this um, stage play uh, written by Terry Nation, I think.
0: So it, was, it was Terence Dix's. And it. It Terry Sticks oh, wrote it using the Daleks that were created by Terry Nation. Oh,
1: yeah. I see, right. Uh, he, he, he used to turn up quite a lot on uh, uh, on rehearse, in rehearsal. He, I, I think um, they asked, uh, what's his name? John Pertwee. John Pertwee. But I think he was already engaged to do something else or something. And um, so they asked me, and, uh, and I didn't... I remember I didn't know anything about it and, uh, and I was summoned as it were for an audition in a pub by uh, the erstwhile director who uh, had uh, now that's uh, Mick Hughes Mick Hughes, yeah that's right and Mick Hughes had been director at the Swan at uh, Worcester and um uh, he and I got on very well at the bar, and uh, yeah, well, that's exit exactly the
0: Italians. Um, <laughs> the noisiest snooker players we've ever heard. <laughs> yes,
1: Because <laughs> yes, they may not have got it into the pockets, but by Jove, they made them. A... <laughs> anyway, um, so uh, and by the end of the day, i got it. I'd got the part, and later. I, I worked with Mick. He was in, in several th- other things. When he wasn't a director, he was a lighting uh, expert. He's very good on lighting, and um, his real strength was uh, the technical side, and that's pro- pro- probably why he he got the job of directing this particular play because it was the most complicated technical production. I've ever had anything to do with Uh, nowadays you can sort of, when you go and see something like Lord of the Rings and you see all this uh, computer-generated armies of what have you and you could do anything practically with them. But in those days, in 1974, there wasn't anything like that and therefore... To start off with we had to sort of persuade the audience that it had changed from Pertwee to me. And the way we did that was that I was made to look like Pertwee with his blonde wig and everything, and uh, and his costume and all the rest of it. And uh, then uh, there was sort of, with these with flashing lights and all that jazz, uh, uh, I and they had a big screen, and they had two twenty-four carousel slides in,
0: uh-huh.
1: you know, uh, <clears throat> and they had to be inter timed to go together twenty-four all the time, and and they went. From him to me, to him to me, and all that jazz. I see, yeah. And while I was let down taking off all the the the, the, the mask and, and all the rest of it and making myself myself. And and they gradually melded these two pictures until it became me. Amazing. Uh, yeah. And and that was very, very difficult mm. in those days. Uh, and in the course, of course, uh, of this play, they had all sorts of things like the great crabs that gra- you know grabbed you, had to grab you and lift you up and take you up. Well, you had to make them work without killing me, and, and things like that, and, and people on stilts that were way up in the sky, and lots of wonderful uh, technical uh, tour de force. And uh, to get them to work consistently, it's all right like getting it to work once if you're doing a, <laughs> if you're doing a telly or if you're doing a a film, you get it and you think, thank God I've got that. But on the stage, you have to do it live every time and make sure that you can get it to a point where it's going to happen all the time, and that is tricky. And this technical rehearsal took from Monday. We started on the Monday morning. And the idea was that we'd do the technical Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and have a dress rehearsal Thursday afternoon. And then we'd have a preview, you know, they start the audience previews on Thursday night, Friday, Saturday, and then Monday the critics would come in. We didn't finish that technical until. About eleven o'clock on Saturday night, having cancelled all the performances that we were supposed to have done on Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, and then the management said, uh, "Right, well, come back on Monday," and and I said, "No," because I wasn't going to go, I wasn't going to go on with um, without a dress rehearsal, because I said. I can't remember what happened on Monday morning <laughs> without having another go at it. Anyway, they, they were very good. It must have cost them a lot of money, uh, but uh, we had a dress rehearsal on the Sunday and a lot of it went wrong. But in going wrong, we saw where it went wrong and it was OK for, for, for Monday because Monday we had the critics in and, you know... It, your show was either going to sell or not sell mm. and uh, <clears throat> and it worked and we got good quits and we got audiences and it was great and it was uh, it was quite a big scheme that they had in mind uh, the idea was that we would do it for I think it was till the end of January at the Adelphi and then we were going to go starting a tour, and it started. I remember it was to start in Leeds, and then it would go to all the lots of tour, and uh, end up in it would finally reach Blackpool for the summer season. We'd do a summer season in Blackpool, during which time we would rehearse another episode of Doctor Who To move into the Adelphi or something like that uh, for the winter, and and it could have been a a continuous thing. That was the theory, and that would have been all right. The only trouble was that um, it it was the time of the troubles with the IRA, and and we. kept hearing the bombs going off at night while we were playing in the West End and things like that and naturally, it being a show for ch- children basically, the the bookings which had been very encouraging dried up and I wouldn't, I didn't blame them at all, I mean, if I were a parent I wouldn't have taken, you know. And so it, it meant that we had to, we had to sort of close. So the idea was, OK, fine, we've got to close, let's start the, the, the tour early. So we were going to start the tour early and we were going to Leeds. What happened there was that, of course, you don't just suddenly say, oh, look, let's go on a tour and we'll go to there and there and there and there and there when we want to. You have to fit in when they've got a, an opening. And you had to book up pretty far ahead, which they had done for the original tour. But now they were trying to sort of cobble it together. And it meant that we were doing things like, we we would play Leeds shows, I don't know exactly how it was, but we'd play Leeds, shall we say, and Plymouth, followed by Aberdeen, and then perhaps Liverpool. Well, they had to have, I think it was two, if not three, Great technicians to move the equipment. And they sat down and worked it out. That even if at each of these dates they had played to hundred percent, they couldn't cover the costs of the wow. travel. <clears throat> so, it
0: packed in. And what, so that means we, we, you know your your doctor was uh, was seen but uh, not not recorded. Although you did do it later for Big Finish. So, but, but give us a flavour of what your interpretation of the role was how did you see the doctor how did you play him
1: well I thought he's supposed to be some kind of a of a supernatural father figure in a way um, but or, or not a father figure perhaps so much as a as a, a reliable uncle um, the sort of uncle that kids in fiction love. Uh, he's, he's, he's not telling them off all the time like Dad. He's, he's good for fun and games and things like that, but at the same time, he's, he knows what he's talking about. And so I tried to be that. Uh, and I'd also got... Uh, i I very much... Uh, admired well, I, I uh, admired the performances of both of Troughton and of um uh, but I, I liked what's his name Hartnell. Hartnell. Uh, and I thought, well, he I, I thought he represented what I thought w- was if you were a superhuman being, you'd been there for 900 years and knew it all. You get very fed up sometimes, although you would try not to, with some of the foibles of of of, of the people you met with.
0: And that's, I, I tried to play it along those lines. Well, and then you return, sort of, many years later, when Doctor Who has this odd sabbatical on the radio. It's almost like you're trying to do it in every medium possible. <laughs> yeah. um, with John Pertwee yeah. and yeah. Uh, what turned out to be, I think, Harold Innocent's last job on... Uh, the Paradise of Death, directed well, by Barriolette. Letts. Was
1: that Harold's yeah. last job? Yeah, hour?
0: I think so. Oh, well, he'd certainly died by the time it was broadcast, because they did a they did a tribute uh, after one of the episodes, because he didn't... died died the week it was it was on. Yeah, I didn't know that. I didn't know that
1: because I'd worked an awful lot with
0: Harold. Lovely actor. Yes. Yes. So, what do you remember of uh, doing Doctor on the radio?
1: Well, I love radio. Well, that's how I started in the business. Mm. Uh, and, he, well, as, as was it, some child once said, he, he liked the radio because the, the pictures were so good. Because, <laughs> <laughs> of course, they're all in your own head. Yeah. And um, one is able to play all sorts of oh, parts the, um, <laughs> <laughs> that nobody good. would ever cast you for physically.
0: Yeah.
1: yeah. Uh, Okay. Well, I just 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 like doing radio, and if I got the chance to to, to play it, I, I took it. I, people often forget that, apart from sort of uh, your big Hollywood stars, who are able to say, "Oh, I don't think I'll do that," because I, for whatever reason, uh, the majority of actors are actually thinking. Of uh, where do I get the money to pay for tomorrow's bread? And uh, that applies quite high up, (laughs) quite high up the echelon of acting. Because uh, you can be a very good actor and never get a job, well, not get a job for years, if ever. Or, nah. Of course, the general public, I think, on the whole, always think in terms of how much money the big stars get. But the majority of us are really quite keen on doing work in order Uh, to keep alive. Yeah. And uh, partly, one takes a job on the radio to keep alive, and partly because one loves doing the radio. It's... It's a, it's a wonderful job we do mm. when we get the job i think it's the i think it's a wonderful life i've had a wonderful i've so enjoyed my life but at the same time uh, it has had its tense periods
0: so what i mean you it's very true i mean your your acting career spans decades um and you know, would be envied, I think, by most. So take us back to what what made you decide that that's what you were going to do and how did you go about it? What was your background? Well, it's very odd, I suppose.
1: Nobody in my family had ever really done anything in the theatre, although I believe my mother was sort of that way inclined, but in those days, mother stayed in the kitchen. Um, she did sort of um, plays for the ladies' meetings and things like that. But I I was mostly interested in history at school. And uh, I had two very good teachers. Well, I had lots of good teachers, but two people that really impressed me and made a difference to me were my history teacher and my English teacher. And my English teacher happened to be a a lady called Maisie Cobby who uh, later became drama uh, advisor or something to the LCC or whatever that title is, I don't know. Um, Anyway, I, I took my higher school certificate in order to try and get to university. to to study history. But unfortunately, I failed the Latin. And in those days, if you failed one subject, you failed the lot. You had to sort of sit down and do the whole thing again. Mm. Coupled with that, it was... This is, I'm talking about the end of the 40s. So I had to get... Uh, a dispensation, as we all did at school, to have to sit our highest school certificates because by that time we were 18. And at 18, everybody went into the army. So when I failed and said, Look, I'd like to take it again, they said, Sorry, you've got to do your army service now. So I went into the army for two years. And uh, when I was coming out of the army, I thought, well, what am I going to do? Uh, now I had, while I'd been at school, I'd, I'd had so many people. I'd, I'd done quite a lot of acting at school in the school plays, and I. Well, you 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 become by the time you get into the sixth form, you, you're a big fish in a small pond, really, uh, and uh, which is what I was at that time. And our, interestingly enough, there was, a, there was another big fish coming up the school called Eileen Atkins.
0: Oh, <laughs> whatever happened to her? I don't know.
1: Anyway, uh, she came up later. Uh, and so uh, suddenly, I don't know how Maisie Comey got in touch with me when I was coming out of the army. And she said, well, why don't you try for drama school? And I thought, well, I I don't know that I'm good enough. Anyway, my father, who was a a respected um, civil servant, thought it wasn't a very good career for his son, but uh, he eventually generously said, well, uh, you can do the audition, and when they fail you, you've had your chance. So I did the audition and got it. So, uh, so anyway... um, I went into so went to the Guildhall School. And lo and behold, when I went to the Guildhall School and walked in, in this class was Eileen. Ah. Because uh, I'd, I'd done two years in the Army, uh, I'd done two years in the sixth form, two years in the Army, and she had come up and she had taken her... Uh, uh, Matriculation examination and left at that point and come, so we met up at the same time. So we were we were both at the Guildhall at the same time.
0: Didn't you do her Saint Joan or something as well? So yeah, 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 I, I did. I did yeah. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, there was theatre CV alone. Even if you just take the major companies of the the, the, the RSC, the National, and, and latterly the Globe, mm. um, and so you got up, up. I mean, you got up close and personal with with Olivier. That must oh, have been yeah. quite extraordinary. Oh, yes.
1: Oh, well, I thought he was fantastic. I, I, I was sort of a complete hero worshiper, I mean, And I could see his faults, some of his faults, but on the whole, I mean, we've all got faults. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it's so easy to criticise people. Though. not very often you can get as good as he was. And I liked what he was aiming at. He liked. He liked the idea, well, I suppose he was very, very old fashioned in as much as it was more or less, he was trying to build a, a thing rather like uh, in the 19th century, what's his name? You know, Sir.
0: Henry Irving.
1: Henry Irving. A sort of, uh, yeah, a sort of family, this is us. And he built this, he built this family. Uh, at the National. Everybody was supposed to be equal. I'm, it's an idealistic thing, but it doesn't work. But it was great to start with. Uh, the idea was that you could play Hamlet one week and, and, and carry a spear next in theory. Yeah. And, and he, he tried it on, on several I, I, I could, I could. The first production was was uh, was Hamlet with O’Toole playing Hamlet, and there, there was a scene where the king. It, it was a very ornate sort of, well, it was complicated set, and uh, there was the, the player scene. Uh, they had Claudius sitting in an alcove, and you couldn’t light him, and he had to be lit. So they devised a scheme whereby a whole lot of courtiers with cloaks and things sort of were arranged round him and each one had a, a, a spot under his cloak, you see, which was able to be directed. Now, the people who carried those spots in that scene were people like Colin Blakely, <laughs> Derek Jacoby, people like that. Well, who were already playing things like Laertes mm. and, and the Gravedigger, and, and, but they don't involved in that scene, you see. And it was all... It was, and he, the canteen was for everybody. Uh, so that you, you expected sort of uh, Michael Redgrave to sit down with the flyman uh, and, and, and all that jazz. And it was fine. And we had a wonderful Christmas party uh, on, on the that 1963. We had a Christmas party. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> uh, is this OK? This is fantastic. Oh, this is right. great. Well, he... he uh, let's see. There was, a, there was a chap, again, whose name escapes me, though I can see his face as clear as daylight. Uh he was sort of what you might call self-appointed social secretary to, to, to the company. Uh, and he was playing Oswald, actually. Uh, uh, Osric, uh, Osric, is it Osric or Oswald? Uh, in uh, Hamlet, it's Hamlet. Osric. The, Osric, the, the, yes. The, the, yes. Yes, Oswald's the, uh, in Hamlet. Os- Os- Oswald's, uh, Oswald's in Lear, Lear. The, yes, the, yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> OK, that's right. So he did. And uh, he wanted... He wanted. We all wanted Olivia to play Father Christmas, you see, for the party for the children, and he 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 wasn't keen at all. And um, but this chap foresaw that he would be difficult, so he got the hi- he hired the best costume, the best wigs and things and and every every everything that. Larry said uh, against it, he had an answer. And, 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 and in the end, he said, All right. At that time, he was rehearsing Othello. And uh, Joan Plowart told us once when we were you know, having a drink or something that well, one night he was tossing and turning, you see. It's a, and he said, "What's the matter, Larry?" And he said,
0: "I can't do
1: it. I can't. I can't." Well, she said, "You're brilliant, you know, uh, backing him up and all the rest of it." And this conversation went on for some time. And she said, "You're a wonderful Othello." She said, "Othello? Oh, yeah." He says, "Father Christmas." <laughs> <laughs>
0: Well, there'll be more from Trevor uh, and maybe a bit more from Sir Lawrence and others uh, uh, in part two, which will be at the same time, hopefully next week. Thanks to Ian Atkins uh, for being the man who puts these up. Um, Sorry, there's been a four month break. It's flown by, but uh, we're hopefully up and running now, which is what I will be doing. See that link there? I'm doing the 10K run, the Manchester 10K run. Uh, for Triple C, which is a charity set up by Shirley Houston off of Coronation Street, uh, whom I know rather well. Uh, And it's uh, an initiative to get... uh, Access to the Arts for Disabled People, um, to help them in all sorts of uh, areas, including disabled children. Um, and it's a new charity that she set up, needs all the help it can get, which is why I am running the Manchester 10K. I have a Just Giving page, Just Giving, Toby Hado, H-A-D-O-K-E. If you could go there and give anything, just anything, it would really help and uh, reward my great effort, because I'm not a sportsman. Uh, Trevor's charity... Uh, is the Alzheimer's Society? Well, he he just said Alzheimer's. So. Uh, any Alzheimer's charity but I will draw your attention to the Alzheimer's Society because that's the one I found which is uh, www.alzheimers.org.uk alzheimers.org.uk that's Trevor's charity so um, uh, whichever uh, however you want to help any of the charities involved in Who's is of course up to you Uh, but uh, we mention them uh, because this is obviously a a free uh, podcast free at the point of contact Uh, and there'll be another one at about the same time next week. Uh, It's good to be back. See you soon. Bye-bye. Here's our seats, Jimmy. Hurry up, it's nearly time to start. are your names? Jenny. Jenny Wilson.
1: Jimmy Forbes. And what I want to know is... How do you do? Very pleased to meet you. I'm the Doctor. Doctor? Doctor who? If you like. The reactor must be recaptured and the rebels destroyed immediately. Has the Doctor been found? Not yet, Your Majesty? Order the guards to redouble their vigilance. The Doctor must not succeed in entering the
0: base. Who is this Doctor? Where did you meet him?
1: Why did he come to Khan? He was after some kind of crystals, said they are important. I seek knowledge of the Crystal of All Power. What is its purpose? Why has it been divided and the smaller crystals hidden?
0: Knowledge of the Crystal of All Power is forbidden. Any who seeks it must be killed. The must be destroyed.
1: The success of our mission is far more important than the life of any one of us. Whatever happens to us, the Daleks must not get hold of the crystal of all power. Stay where you
0: are or you will be exterminated!
1: I appear to be surrounded. It's almost as if you were expecting me. Indeed we were, Doctor. This is your final defeat. From now on, the Daleks will rule supreme in the universe. Now, where's my sonic screwdriver?